0: I know Pam and I are like many of you. We love to go hiking. We love to go in the mountains. In fact, during our time off, we actually got to go hike up in the mountains some. And, and uh, man, there's nothing like uh, climbing to a crest. And, 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 you know, it's tiresome doing the climb, wherever you're going to get to, the hiking, whatever you need to do to get up there. But then when you get to the crest, you get to that peak... And you look out; the awe and the majesty are just incredible, just the awesomeness. In fact, you, you feel small all of a sudden, if you know what I'm talking about. All of a sudden, you you realize that there's an architect who uh, has put everything in motion, who is actively involved, and you are just a, you feel so small, but yet you feel so full because you're taking in the majesty of the Creator. And I so I love. I love those mountain uh, top experiences when you do that however eventually there comes the moment when you've taken in the view you've sat there you've rested you've done whatever you've done then the realization comes I got to go back down into the valley or I got to go back down the mountain to life right that's that's facing me and uh, the the quote that you just heard in the video comes from a guy by the name of René Dumas, and he, is a, he was a French poet. And let me read that quote to you one more time. I love this when I found it. You cannot stay on the summit forever. You have to come down again. So why bother in the first place? Just this. What is above knows what is below, but what is below does not know what is above. One climbs, one sees, one descends one sees longer, no longer, but one has seen. And I love that because we talk about spiritual uh, momentous times as mountaintop experiences. And uh, all of us have experienced those at one time or another. If you're a follower of Christ, maybe it was during a worship service that was so special. Maybe it was a, a camp as a teenager or a child or a Revival service, uh, whatever. There was that moment when you experienced God on such a level that, uh, you just wanted to stay there, you know, spend the rest of your life there. Why don't we just live at camp? Why don't we just live in this worship center? Why don't we just do these things because God is so close? And you know, the, the, the amazing thing about the closeness of God is just like looking out off a physical mountain, you feel small when you're having that spiritual mountaintop experience. You feel the same smallness. Your sin is revealed. There's brokenness that comes. There's this inadequacy before the holy God. But all of a sudden, there's this celestial breathing in of who He is, and you experience the awe of God is, and you realize you're not in control, and that He loves you, and He has this immense uh, calling upon your life. And you—that's why we just want to stay there because you can just touch Him. The—the—the the, the temptation of sin seems so far away because you're in that moment, but. You know, as well as I do, you got to come down. you got to go back down into the valley to live life out. And so we ask, why have even these experiences? Well, one ascends, one experiences, but one must descend. But we have seen. And the world who has not seen needs to see. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at what we're calling mountaintops. Uh, if you know anything about Israel, there are, there are mountain ranges all over the place. There, there are mountains, and uh, as you make your way through Israel, you see the encounters that happen on so many of these mountains. And when you read the Scriptures, and so as I started looking through these uh, mountaintop experiences in Scripture, I started seeing how God chose the mountaintops to reveal His character, to reveal Himself to people, and then the, the work had to take place in the valley. So what what I thought would be good is to let's look at these experiences together out of scripture. And so the kind of the purpose of these next several weeks is this. And it will take us through Easter and the resurrection is to experience the God of the mountaintops so we can live our faith out in the valleys of life. That's where we live it out. But we need those encounters. Uh, The mountaintops were encounters where God revealed himself. Uh, You can't live on the uh, mountaintop forever, you have to come down. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to look at the scriptures, see how God challenged key figures in the scriptures through the mountains, and then what well, we can learn from it in our daily walk with the Lord. So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis is the first book in the Bible, and uh, we're going to be in chapter 22. And if you'll let me kind of preface it by, by, uh, telling you a little bit of build-up, because the first very first words are ta- say sometime later, Well, what happened before? There's a guy in the in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, that we're introduced to by the name of Abraham. And uh, he's Abram initially. He's married to a woman named Sarai initially. They're going to become known as Abraham and Sarah. Uh, God encounters Abraham, uh, or Abraham encounters God as uh, we look at it. And God tells him this. Abraham, I want you to leave your family, and I want you to go to the place I'm going to show you. Out of obedience, Abraham, by faith, goes. He and Sarah and his nephew Lot make this trek, and knowing that God is going to show them the place where they're going to. Eventually, they come to a land, and God tells them, Abraham, this land is going to be for you and all of your descendants. I'm going to to create a great nation out of you, and this is where the land you're going to be. And it's going to be your descendants. In fact, your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky. Now, here's the here's the trick, though. Abraham and his wife Sarah were old. They were beyond childbearing years, uh, and they had never had any children of their own. And so they're, they're walking through this. God has made this covenant with them, this promise with them. And they're thinking, uh, there is no way. But if God said it, he's made this covenant with us, we're going to walk it out with him. And, you know, we're all guilty of this. We try to take God's asking into our own hands. We think God needs our help, right? So we're going to help God along on this thing. So what Sarah does is she has a servant by the name of Hagar, and she's saying, Well, Abraham, why don't you have a child through Hagar, and that will be the child, because I cannot, I'm old, I cannot bear children. And so Abraham does that. They have a child by the name of Ishmael. Now... Uh, here's what happens when you take God's plan into your hands to try to work it out. You get an Ishmael. That's not good. That was not God's plan at all. And you know the history that comes out of Ishmael. You can look it up. It's not been good. And so they, this was wrong. So, but God comes back to encounter, an encounter with Abraham and Sarah and says, you are, no, you are going to have a child. And, uh, Sarah laughs. God says, what are you laughing about? Well, I'm an old old lady. I'm, I'm 90 years old. I, I don't think this is going to happen. And so they end up, they, when it all unfolds, she does have a child in, in these late years. His name is Isaac, which means laughter, because God said, okay, I'm going to give you something to laugh about. Here you go. Can you just imagine graduation uh, when, you have, when you're 90 years old and have a child? And uh, so they have Isaac, and so Isaac is the child of promise. So now God has fulfilled all this and his covenant, Ishmael is now put away. And so this is going to be the child of promise that out of him is going to be the descendant of all of Abraham and, and, and what is going to fulfill through that. And so the first thing we look at in Genesis chapter 22, verse one, it says this sometime later. So this is after all I just told you, how long was that time? I don't know. I've got to say this, though many scholars, because often when we talk about the story of Abraham and Isaac, that we think Isaac was just a little boy. All scholars agree he was not a little boy. Some say he was uh, teens to twenties. Uh, one writer even said he thought he may have been the same age as Jesus, thirty-three, when he was um, when he was put into this predicament with his father. But uh, however it was that Abra- Abraham and Isaac. Are caught up in this scenario it's sometime later and isaac is now a, a young man and it says this sometime later god tested abraham he said to him abraham here i am he replied now we're going to stop here's the first thing i want you to write down in your notes testing is part of growth and preparation testing is part of growth and preparation if you're a follower of jesus christ If you believe in God, that God is going to bring testing in your life, not to destroy you, but to build you up and to promote you, to prepare you, to promote you. And that's what he's doing with Abraham. He has this huge calling on Abraham's life, and so he is going to test him. Now, there's a difference between testing and temptation. Temptation is to do evil. The enemy comes, he tempts you with the flesh, the world, the devil himself tempts you. And temptation is common to all people. Lust, common. Uh, uh, gossip, common. Cheating, lying, uh, anger, murder, these kind of things. These are obvious and they're common to all people. And this is what the enemy tries to do. He tries to come against you to bring out the evil in you. But testing, on the other hand, is God's way of bringing out the best in you. And testing is like when you're trying to test. The strength of a metal or something you are you are seeing how how strong it is, what is really there you 're testing the metal of that situation, so testing is god 's way of preparing Abraham for what he 's going to do through him it 's a promotion of sort, but the testing is to bring out what is truly inside of him, and God does that to all of us. but let me tell you something about testing testings from God, whereas temptation is common to everybody. Testings are unique to the individual. Nobody else did God ask to take their son and to do what we're about to read about. He didn't do that for Lot. He didn't do that for Isaac or Jacob or any, any of them. No one else. It was a test just for Abraham to strengthen him and to prepare him, to promote him. So listen, some of you may be going through testings. Now, some, all of us are going through temptation, But some of you are going through testings right now, and it's God that is doing it. You feel uncomfortable. It is stretching you. But I want you to know that God is doing it, hear me, for your good. He is doing it to prepare you and to promote you. And it really, in the long run, has everything to do about his kingdom and not so much to do about just you. And so he is preparing and promoting you and he's doing it through testing. You're saying, wow, couldn't he have done it another way? Just right in the sky. I think I could have, I could have got it that way. But this is, this is difficult that I'm walking through. And it's unique to you. So, and here's, here's my deal. And you're the same way. We, when somebody's going through a hard time and it's actually the testing of God and not just, uh, just life crud, what we do sometimes is we want to pull somebody out of the frying pan, don't we? They're going through something, and it's God who is working this out in their life. And well, we want to pull them out of it too soon instead of letting God do His work to prepare and to promote them to what He's doing. And so I, I love I this quote Our faith is not really tested until God asks us to bear what seems unbearable, do what seems unreasonable, and expect what seems impossible. Isn't that good? I mean, God is going to put you under those things. And and somebody is saying, well, Mark, I don't like it. I know you don't. I guarantee you, Abraham was not prepared for that, but he was going to be put in that because God had a bigger plan. But we don't like to go through those squeezings. Testing, though, is a part of our spiritual growth. Here's a question, personal. How's God testing you today? Are you going through a testing time? Uh, What might he be preparing you for right now and you're thinking well i don't want to go through this I, I'm, I'm going to fight off on this i uh, read a story about a, a man who found a cocoon of, that would have eventually out of the cocoon would come an emperor moth and he found this cocoon and he decided to take it home and just to watch it go through its eventual metamorphosis to where the moth would come out of the cocoon the time finally came and the cocoon started to get a little tear in it And he was watching the struggling that was taking place of that larva or whatever's inside to make its way out. And and he was starting to feel sorry for the situation. So he took a little razor blade and he cut the cocoon. He cut it open so that what's inside wouldn't have to work so hard to come out only to see what came out of the cocoon was a was a uh, uh, almost a deformed type larva that came out it was really swollen in the abdomen its wings were really small and it was eventually it was going to die and he thought about that but what he didn't realize is that the fighting out of the cocoon is what developed the wings so that that moth could fly and become what it was meant to be I want you to know that God is willing to put you through the test, not to destroy you. He's wanting to bring the best out of you so that you can develop into what he desires. And that's what he's doing with Abraham here. He is working on Abraham to bring out because he has a bigger plan. Look at verse 2. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah... Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. So he's going to Mount Moriah. But let's look at this demand of God here. He says, take your son. So here's, here's number two. You can write this down. God will ask what seems impossible. God will ask of you what seems impossible. That's what he's doing about Abraham. I mean, everything you could ask him. He's asking him to take his son to offer him up as a burnt offering. But here's the deal. Notice what he says. He says, your only son. Well, wasn't wasn't Ishmael his son? I mean, where are you coming with this only son thing? Well, this is the what what is we hear the term a lot, firstborn son, or son of promise that was to come. Now, in our culture, uh, firstborns, I'm not a firstborn, my wife is, firstborns, don't necessarily have the clout they did in Middle Eastern uh, thought. They think they do, but they don't. It's just not that way. Uh, but what would happen in the Mid- Middle Eastern cur- culture is that the firstborn, and, and God is saying Ishmael is not the son of promise. Isaac is the son of promise. He's the firstborn. So the firstborn, though, was somebody's total hopes, dreams, and future. That that child, that son, that the firstborn son, that begotten son, he would be the one to take over everything. He would be he would receive the inheritance, and then he would distribute to the others. But everything that a father had, that firstborn was his dreams, his hopes, his future. Everything was in that firstborn, and that's what makes it so important. Many of you remember when the children of Israel were in Egypt that there were ten plagues. That God allowed Moses to perform to get the children of Israel out of Egypt. Remember what the last one was? Is to kill the firstborn, right? And we're thinking, oh man, they killed a child. Well, why didn't they kill any child? Why did they kill the firstborn? Is because the firstborn was the hopes, the dreams, and the future of that nation. And you take every firstborn out. What you've done is you've created incredible chaos for a country. And so God said, this is what's going to happen. Their whole future, their dreams, their purpose are going to be destroyed in this. And that's what happened. And so God is telling Abraham, I want you to take your the son of promise, your firstborn, Isaac. And what I want you to do with him is I want you to take him to Mount Moriah, and I want you to offer him up to me as a burnt offering. That means total consumption. It's not going to be like... You're gonna, you're gonna come back with part of him. You're offering him all to me, and you're gonna do this. I'm asking that of you. And, and my thought is, God will ask of you, and He asked of Abraham, what seems like the impossible. And God, hear me on this, God didn't want Isaac's life. He wanted Abraham's heart. You know, so often we think God asks something of us to offer up to Him, and we're thinking, oh, why does God need this? He doesn't need that. He needs you. And He knows you're clinging so tightly to something that you cannot experience Him. And so He tells Abraham, I want you to offer up your son. And the best way to grow close to God is as we offer up to Him. Here's a question for you. What is God needing to pry from your hands today so you can experience him or is there something that you're clinging so tightly to that it is actually a distraction from you and what is competing for your affections today you know, God is testing Abraham. He's not destroying Abraham. He's testing him because he wants his heart, because he has a bigger plan that he is going to fulfill here. And this is what happened. But if he would have clung so tightly, that he would, God could have done it another way, but this is what he desired to do. And for many of you, hear me, you need to hear this. God sees more in you than you see in yourself. He sees incredible potential. But yet we live in a culture that we go by Facebook likes more than we go by what God says. We go by what others have thought about us, and we go by these negative mental mindsets than what God actually says about us. And He sees more in us than than ever. There's a story about a, a mountain climber who had who had climbed, and he was climbing late in the day, which was wrong anyway. But he was climbing, and he had tied himself off, but he was making the next the next. uh climb part of the climb and he slipped and in slipping he fell and it was by this time it was getting dark and he knew he'd made a mistake and so he falls but because he had tied himself off he he fell and eventually the rope caught so he's just hanging there and he says help is there anybody there and all of a sudden this voice came back and he says it's god and and uh, he says man i need you to save me i need you to help me I, i i need you and he said, what I need you to do, God says, what I need you to do is cut the rope. And uh, so I, I think what I would have said, is there anybody else up there? But he said, you need to cut the rope. And, and he said, I can't cut the rope. I can't cut the rope. The story goes on to say that the next morning someone came and through the frost and cold and freezing of the night, they found a, a frozen man hanging from a rope two feet off the ground. You know, sometimes we are trying to cling to things so tightly, and God says if you would just let go, you'd experience life like you've never known it. But sometimes it seems like he's asking the impossible. Think of what Abraham's going through. Let's go on. Verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place of God. Here's the deal. You cannot stay where you're at and just hope God shows up for you. If he says set out, then you want to walk with him, and that's what he's willing to do. He set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, look at this, stay here with the donkey While I and the boy go over there, we will worship and then we will come back to you. Isn't that interesting that he says we will worship and we will come back? He's told to come and offer his son, but yet he's saying here, we're going to come back. Did he really believe that? I mean, did Abraham really believe God had told him to do this? Did he really believe he was going to come back? Uh, You know, what I love about this story is Abraham had nobody else other than God to depend on. He didn't have his family. Sarah wasn't there. He didn't have his servants anymore. His friends, they weren't going to be with him. All he had was the Lord. All he had was uh, uh, God to lead him through this. And, And hear this one. He could not trust his feelings either. And he's going to do this, but he says, we will go. We will return. He trusted God's character. Abraham had faith in God. Abraham's faith was here. This was a resurrection kind of faith. And you're thinking, well, Mark, come on. Jesus resurrected there. been nobody raised from the dead before then. How can Abraham have a resurrection faith? You think about this. He's a, he's a hundred years old. His wife is 90 years old and they have a baby. Where there should be death, there was brought forth life. He said God can do anything. And so he had a resurrection kind of faith. That God can overcome whatever we may be going through at the moment. God had already proved that he was the giver of life. You know, I thought about this. Do I have resurrection faith? Do you have resurrection faith? Do we really believe, even though we're, not seeing, we're seeing these circumstances around us, do we really believe that God can bring life, from things that have gone dead. From dead dreams, dead hopes, dead relationships. Do we trust God enough to say, God, I'm not seeing it, but I know you can do it because you've done it before. And can we trust Him with that? What dream or hope or calling is dead and God needs to resurrect with you? I tell you what, sometimes we're going through life, and, and just this morning, it was crazy. We, we get here at 7 and we have our prayer time and everything. And when we got here at 7, it was actually, there was more light out than there was when we started the service at 8.30. It was pitch black out there. I'm thinking, man, this is in right. But how many times have we, we got caught up in the circumstances of what we see around us instead of truly seeing uh, God in the midst of, of what's going on? And so, you know, my thought, you can you can write this down, is that, you need to keep your focus on the promise. Keep your focus on the promise. You see, that's what that's what Abraham did. He His circumstances, he's going up a mountain. He's going to offer his son up as a burnt offering. And yet this is what he's seeing, but yet he has to see the promise of God. And I can't push you enough on that. Because some of your circumstances right now are bad. They just don't look good. You've had relationships die. You've had financial struggles. You've had... Things around you that happen with family and all this kind of stuff. And you're thinking, God, I don't know how to hold on to this. I just can't see it. But you have made a promise. You will never leave me. You will never abandon me. God, you will guide me. You will strengthen me. You will use me for your glory and your glory alone. And by your Holy Spirit that indwells me, I will walk this out with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Because you inhabit me. See, those are the promises of God. But yet the distractions of this world keep us from that all the time. But yet those are the promises. Can we put our focus on the promises instead of all the distractions? There was a young pilot who was flying solo. And he finally got to that point where he's flying solo. And as he's flying along, he comes into clouds. And as he's in the midst of these clouds, he's watching his instruments. But everything around him, he just can't understand. And he feels like he needs to do this instead of trusting his instruments. So he calls into the tower and he says, I'm struggling here. So my instruments say this, but I know everything in me that I'm watching these clouds just doesn't seem right. And the, and the tower responded back by saying this, you just obey instructions and we'll take care of the obstructions. You just, you just go with the instructions and we'll take care of the obstructions. You see, even though your surroundings may look a particular way, if we can put our focus on the gauges of who God is and who his promises are, we can walk this thing out. Abraham did it. He could say, we're going to go up the mountain and we're going to come back. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I have resurrection faith that God is going to fulfill his promises. All right, let's get to the end of the story. Verse 6. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. Here's an interesting thing. Isaac could have taken down a hundred plus year old dad. But he trusted dad. Verse 10, it says, then he reached out his hand. And took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Whenever a name is repeated like that, it's, a, it's intensity, it's intimacy as well. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah-Jireh. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. God will provide. Last thought is this. God always has a bigger plan in mind. He always has a bigger plan. This wasn't so much about Abraham as it was about his kingdom plan that he was bringing about. Because out of that lineage, out of Abraham's lineage would eventually become one who is known as Jesus Christ who would lay down his life ultimately for the sacrifice of all. But we see this story and we see, we see the parallels in Isaac. We see a father and son assignment that is to go forth. We see a promised firstborn son was to be offered. A donkey would be their mode of transportation. Two unrelated men were a part of the journey. There was this significant three-day journey. They were looking for the lamb. Isaac bore the wood of the sacrifice and the ram was sacrificed. We look, at, we look many years later. There was a father and son assignment that took place. There was a promised firstborn who was offered. A donkey bore the one into Jerusalem. Two unrelated men were crucified with Him. Three days of Christ were in a tomb. Jesus was the perfect Lamb of God. Jesus bore the cross, and He was the perfect, complete sacrifice for mankind. You see the incredible parallels that God is is seems so much bigger than just Abraham and a son. He was setting into focus and to play all of redemption. So He is testing Abraham. To fulfill this. Listen, some of you are going through some testing today. It's hard. You don't understand it. You don't like it. You look at the circumstances and you're thinking, God, I don't know what's going on. But I'm going to focus on you and your promises because you will never leave me. You are here with me. Your Holy Spirit indwells me. I believe that. And so, God, please, lead me through this testing. But you've got to understand, God is preparing to promote you for a greater thing that's going to happen. And some of you need to grab that today. We're so limited in our thinking. We just think, God, can you use me? Yeah, I can use you. It's not about you. It's about him and what he's going to do. That Mount Moriah, Mount Moriah where he was, eventually King David, when he is king, and a plague has hit their nation because he decided to count his fighting men. The plague came and, and the plague ended at a place called Ornan's floor, Aruna's floor. And it's at that place that David decides, I want this land to to make a sacrifice unto God. And Ornan says, You can have it. He says, No, I've got to buy this land. So he buys that land and he makes a sacrifice there. It was the exact same spot that Abraham and Isaac were. Years later, David is going to have a son by the name of Solomon. And what Solomon does is he builds the temple on that exact same place, Mount Moriah, there where Abraham sacrificed Isaac and David had purchased that land. The temple was put in that place. In the same mountain range area, not too far from that crest, there's a place known as Mount Calvary, and we'll talk about it in a couple of weeks, is where Jesus, the Lamb of God, took away all the sins of the world. God does not do things accidentally. He's got a plan. Let me close by this. I am human. I am frail. I thought, what in the world could make Abraham do this? Promises of God? Yes. But man, this is asking the impossible. And I thought, I was just thinking, Abraham, how could you do this? And I was just thinking, I, I mean, it's a great story, but I thought, Abraham, what gave you the courage and strength and boldness and faith to do this? I just don't understand it. If I was asked to give one of my kids or my grandkids over to the Lord in this way, I'm thinking, God, what would it be that would, would even impulse me to do that? And then I saw it. It took me studying through the scriptures over and over again. But in, back in verse 2, it says this. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice, offer him up there as a burnt offering on a mountain. And it's the last four words that struck me. He said, I will show you. And all of a sudden it came clear. Abraham was not going to be alone on this journey. The God of all creation was with him. He was guiding him. He said, I will show you. I will take you each step of the way. And I love you, Abraham. I love you. Some of you today are are wanting to give in. There's many people on this planet that are just wanting to give in because they think they're isolated and they're alone. And they're getting their worth through social media or through something else instead of the truth of who God is. And God says, I will be with you. And I am with you. Some of you just need to hear that today. Because I guarantee you, if you're not going through a test, eventually you will. But God is not to destroy you. He's to promote you to greater things. I want you to bow your heads with me just one quick moment.